both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval Podcast with your host, The Finance Ghost. Thank you for joining us and I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. We've been speaking to entrepreneurs, advisors, exit strategists and everyone you can think of really to try and bring entrepreneurs a bunch of lessons and insights to help them on what we all know is a difficult journey. So we've got Ellie Michael here today and if you try and google his name based on how you would spell either of those things you have no chance but uh, have a look in the description of the podcast and I'm sure you'll be able to find the link to his business Payable which is also spelt in an interesting but clever way uh, or to find him on LinkedIn. Uh, Ellie, thanks so much for joining today. I'm excited to chat to you. Perfect. Thank you for having us on the show. We really appreciate being here. No, it's going to be good. I think uh, before we you know, get into anything else, it's always good to understand just a little bit about your background, just for a couple of minutes. Then obviously just tell us about your business, I suppose. So I had an interesting journey, uh, studied engineering and IT. And then at that point in time, didn't really know if I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, so I needed to buy a little bit of extra time, so I went and finished my master's. And while I was doing my master's, I um, was exposed to quite a lot in the business world because they kind of did it as the MBA for engineers at that point in time. And that sort of piqued my interest at that stage around getting into the corporate world. But had a little bit of a, an interesting journey to get there. So I started actually as a flow cytometry engineer, the HIV researcher at the NICD. So it was the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. So the flow cytometry engineer very simply meant that uh, they had a very specific uh, piece of machinery that they'd used to measure a whole bunch of... I, I'm not the biologist, so I'll speak under correction, but cytometer basically means measuring of a cell, and basically these were quite complex machines that the biologists would use to do a whole bunch of all their different fancy experiments inside that HIV uh, department, but they needed uh, full-time calibration on that piece of equipment. So there was an engineering position available. I was incredibly lucky at an early age that I got exposed to that. And that actually catalyzed my journey into analytics. And that's how, that's how I started my journey from a corporate perspective. So I spent about two and a half to three years um, there working with their different technologies. This was at, the, at an age where they were calling people statisticians uh, before they called them quants. Then they became quants and now everyone's a data scientist. So you, you'd probably best call it a data scientist today, but it was before it became a very popular term. But that's what got me uh, involved in analytics and started in the analytic world on that front and then moved into the corporate world where I was at uh, African Bank for a couple of years, um, started as a junior credit analyst, uh, moved around into doing pricing and customer analytics and a bunch of roles, but always had a golden thread of data and analytics inside of it. Uh, and then as uh, all good corporate people 
who want to progress in their career uh, decided that uh, I needed different exposure now and I went into the big wide world of consulting which I really didn't uh, we, we didn't gel let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> especially coming from industry when you get inside of you know these these big consulting firms it's very 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 different and that really got me thinking around you know what what is out there and what's possible um, and that was the beginning of the journey into Pebble, again, condensed to probably 10 to 15 years in, into, into a minute or two. But that, that was how, how I, I really have become a lost engineer and have, have gone into the deep, dark world of uh, trade and asset finance for, for small and micro and medium businesses. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. I mean, that is quite a journey. Look, it's, it's as tricky to go from a consulting background into corporate, I can tell you, or from an advisory side into corporate. Just those two worlds are very different. You are 100% correct. So... I think let's talk a little bit about the business that you're in now, which is payable. You know, how did you spot that gap? Like, what was the the journey that led to you actually saying, "Okay, let's do this"? Yeah. So we had spent a lot of time in the the retail credit world. So what I mean by that is that we were doing credit for predominantly um, consumers, um, and in that world, as I'm sure you and your listeners know, if you want to buy a car, and this is this is not something new. You wanted to buy a car, you walk into the dealership, you get all excited, you see the car, and then the next second they walk you to, to the back and you speak to the equivalent of an F&R, and they capture a little bit of information, and you know within five minutes you've gotten seven different credit offers from a host of different providers, banks, specialized lenders, etc. That that had been around for a long time, you know, 2000 from you know the late 2000s till today. Um, you applied a similar kind of logic to a business owner. So now this was 2015. Business, we, we were saying a business owner walks into the equivalent of a bank branch pre-COVID. People used to walk into branches and they would go speak to their bankers and they walk up to the business banking desk, the small business banking desk. And they say, hi, I'm John and I'm here uh, to take out, I've got a really like, amazing things are happening in my business. I need 200, 250,000 Rand for an order that I need to fulfill, general working capital. And they say, great, you know, that, that's why we're here. Um, here's the forms that you need to fill in. Here's the host of other documents that you need to provide, everything from, you know, your tax clearance certificate probably to like proof of birth and other types of things. And that process was a very long drawn out process, generally taking weeks. And a lot of the time the answer would be no. John, you know, he's a business owner. He's quite He's quite astute. He's, he's thinking on his feet and he goes, oh, you know, out of the corner of my arm, I can see a personal loans desk. Let me just go have a chat to them. John walks over. They say, hi, um, you know, I'd like a personal loan. They say, well, how much? I was like, well, how much can you get? He's like, you know, up to 250000 I was like, great, what do you need? It's like, I, I need your payslip uh, and your ID number. They go, okay, sure. Here's my payslip. Here's my ID number. And he's walking out with the, you know, 250,000 rand in a matter of minutes. Same institution. Like, how did that make sense? And you know, once we started to get our heads around um, what the fundamental differences were, and there's real reasons. So I'm not, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm turning into a bit of a joke, but it, there's real reasons why the banks are structured like that. They've different risk mandates and they've got different ways of looking at things. But 
the fundamental they can charge you a hell of a lot more on a personal loan than they can on anything else. exactly exactly um but you know one of the more fundamental reasons why it's so different is a you know the reason they're charging you that is because of, of how they underwrite but be in order to get to that decision they need to make use of a whole bunch of information which they typically use for much larger businesses so they they base a lot of that information around you know what's the balance sheet of this business a a business that's turning over one two three four five million rand is not you, you can't do typical balance sheet lending um and once we got our head around what that was and what those fundamental structural differences were we said well why can't we leverage that same technology that we'd been using in the retail credit world forever to say well the director's the same person let's look through the business let's look at the underlying directors um, and let's start leveraging that data because that data was readily available um, and started to build our scoring algorithms and just our general underwriting from that perspective and then the other massive uh, component to it was turnaround time you know in some ways, business owners would be happy to pay a little bit more to get an answer today, um, as opposed to waiting eight weeks to get a no. And you know, putting all of that together, that's where we saw the gap and said, okay, you know, let's merge these two worlds together, and and that's how we created Payable. Yeah, time really is money for an SME. Like chances are that money is needed right now. There's either some big order that's coming and they need stock to fulfill it, or or something. I mean, life as a small business is literally just putting out one fire after the next. It is really, really difficult. And absolutely, I think the big banks do an awful job of uh, supporting SMEs. They have nice big adverts and they, you know, release lovely billboards that make everyone look all happy. But let's be blunt, you know, and I'm happy to be blunt because I'm not directly competing against them. The banks are useless when it comes to supporting SMEs. Other than the feel-good adverts, that's about as far as it goes. They don't lend into SMEs. And, and where they do... You know, it's often on terms that make it extremely difficult. It takes forever. As you say, if it's not your primary banker lending to you, I think you have almost no chance. Absolutely. So there's a big gap. There's a really big gap there for an alternative lender to come in. And I'm curious, you know, in terms of starting the business, do you have partners in this thing? Like, how did you fund it? I mean, obviously, there's only so much you can talk about publicly, but it is yeah. just interesting for me because I used to work in banking for what it's worth. I did my articles in a bank. So, uh, you know, and what I've said is no reflection on that bank in case anyone's wondering or, or knows who I am. <laughs> it's a reflection on the banking industry and these structural problems that you've highlighted. Um, yeah, so uh, so just quickly on the on the first part around the banks and how they, from, from our perspective, why they're doing what they're doing is... And it also speaks a bit to the structural way that we built our model. If they want to lend a million rand, it's much easier for them to lend that million rand to one person because their cost of acquisition and underwriting is so high. They'd rather do that. Um, and it makes a lot more sense for them because they're going to apply that methodology. But now if they want to lend to 20 business owners 50,000 rand, um, they'd go through that same process. But obviously the costs are much higher, so they make much far less money on it. So they'd much rather lend the much bigger loan sizes to the bigger businesses, whereas we're concentrating on, on the much smaller side. So it's completely frustrating for that business owner, but it's it's rational why they're going around that process. And that's that's the structural gap that we're trying to address. To answer your next question is, how did we get started? It's it, It's been an interesting journey and, and a long journey. Um, I think you've spoken about these things before. VC is incredibly hard in private equity in this country, um, especially as a startup. So it's one thing, you know, they, they like to talk about, and you comment on these things often you know there's a major deal and there's a big listed entity and they're buying some non-listed entity and everyone talks about like oh it's a private equity deal but those are large large businesses um there is almost no risk appetite in this country 
to, to back entrepreneurs with ideas, especially pre-revenue. Um, so we were incredibly lucky at the time that we managed to sketch out what we were doing to get it to a point to get in front of the right people that could back us a little bit. So we, we managed to get a little bit of seed funding to build out the prototype, build up a bit of an advances book. Um, and then we went, and this is public information, the next bit, so I'm happy to share it. And we we then went on a journey with Sassman, um, with their private equity division, to, to get them to back us. So again, not simple and not quick. Uh, we were incredibly lucky that we were able to, to raise at the stage that we were able to, um, because we were in between different stages. It was pre-revenue for the first bit, then the second bit was post-revenue, but it was still very, very early stage. Um, but it was a long, arduous journey. There was nothing simple about it. Um, they, you know, you, know you, you, you read these things and you know, entrepreneurship is incredibly romanticized. You, know, you start in your garage and the next second you, you know, you're Steve Jobs. It doesn't work like that and it certainly doesn't work like that in this country. And I think the sooner we get that message out there to business owners that you know, just coming with an idea is not going to get you far in this country. You need to have built something, you need to be ideally post-revenue, and you need to ideally have that business model in place that you can go and show. And even then, there's absolutely no guarantees that you're going to get anything. Yeah, I always say to people, don't become an entrepreneur unless you feel, you've recognized that it's an illness that you can't run away from. Please don't, <laughs> please don't run towards it. Rather run away from it as hard as you can. And if you still can't get away, then, you know, then I'm sorry, but the bug is bitten and you're in serious trouble. Like that, unfortunately, yeah. is how it goes, right? And the point around VC is, is really important. We just do not have the capital pool that exists in the US. I was sitting with a friend of mine literally the other day who has a tech startup, and it is extremely, extremely difficult, even as a profitable business, to actually find funding. And the reason I think is very simple is in the US, if you back 20 small tech players, you know, it's power law. Two or three will exactly. do well. One will get acquired by Meta or by Google or whatever, and you'll make your entire return, even though 12 have failed. And there's almost this like that hustle culture is like, it's okay to fail yeah. in the US. You know, what did you learn from it? Okay, what are you taking to your next startup? There's just so much capital that it's really not the end of the world. It's like buying a, it's like buying an option, like a derivative, you know, it expires out of the money. Oh, well, I lost a bit of my premium. But in South Africa, it's like, it's hard enough to raise the first time. If you then lose that money, you know, the second time it's, it's done, you back to corporate, cheers. You know, it's, it's incredibly difficult and very sad. And what I like about what you're doing is, you know, by being able to plug in debt funding where people need it, yes, it's very different to equity funding. And that's maybe a story, you know, for another day. Maybe we should do a webinar on, on that at some point for Biswell. But, uh, you know, it, it is a very different way of thinking, but it does plug that gap because often entrepreneurs will go and raise equity and then they'll kind of sit on the money or not often because it's so hard, but they want to go and raise equity and then kind of sit on the money and say, okay, now I can hire people, etc." The one cool thing I will say about the South African ecosystem is it really forces you to get the unit economics right early on in your business because you just can't afford to sit and bleed. You just don't have the time and you don't have the funding. So you, you won't have the runway. You, you, don't have you the literally runway, no. won't have the runway. No, exactly. So instead of getting this blanket equity check, you know, you actually look at it and say, okay, I do need money, but I need it for something very specific. And that, I suppose, is where you guys will come in. Yeah. So, so, and to your point, even around the debt funding, um, while we're talking about this with entrepreneurship, a lot of the times, especially the the corporates where they think about lending into this market, again, they they've romanticised what it, what it's like. But business owners and entrepreneurs are not the same thing. Um, and I think the sooner we start talking about that, the better products will be making for everyone. So, as opposed to now the banks and the alternative lenders 
again, idealizing and romanticizing this idea of what business ownership is like. The seven, eight hundred thousand formal businesses in this country um, do an amazing job and they contribute to the economy. And being a business owner is, it's, it's, it's literally one of the hardest things you, you could ever do. But by telling everyone that they are entrepreneurs is not the right solution. Also, it's not because they are creating then the products that entrepreneurs, which is a very, very distinct part of the business population are, and you're putting the wrong thing into those hands. So, you know, we've created a debt funding product and that's for existing businesses. You know, we're not there. We're there to accelerate the growth inside businesses that are already in existence to take them to the next level and help them on their working capital journey. But what that means is that we have very deliberate steps in place to facilitate that. So it has to be a trading business. It's not just an idea. And with that, they're giving up no ownership in the the company at the same time. So when we first started, we so and we've evolved with time. But our first product that we launched was a very very simple trade finance product. Um, we actually struggled a lot to even explain what our product was. It's very easy to 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 tell you what we were doing, but to kind of put it in the box because you say the word trade finance, especially in the South African context, you know, it conjures up like an incredibly complex application process and you know international this and letters of credit and arterial bonds and security, and that wasn't at all what we were doing. All we were trying to do is we were trying to facilitate the transaction between the small business and the large wholesaler because that small business needed to buy stock to put on their shelves or they've just landed an order and they needed to buy that raw material to turn it into something and that product didn't exist here. So obviously trade finance has existed in South Africa forever, but that's only for the really big large businesses out there. Now you've got a stationary shop, as an example. It's coming up for back to school end of year now. The suppliers at this time of year are starting to release a whole bunch of specials. They want to offload their stock, obviously. This this retail shop needs 100,000 Rand uh, to make use of those specials today and the early settlement discounts, um, but they don't have it on hand. What they would then do is they would come to Payable, they'd apply with our process. It's incredibly simple and easy to do takes them literally a couple of minutes. They get an answer in real time. Um, within an hour or two, potentially, if everything goes according to plan, Payable's already made that payment to that wholesaler on their behalf. Um, stock's delivered tomorrow. No, it's on their shelves. They're selling it over the next two, three months. And in the background, you know, we're collecting based on whatever repayment schedule suits their business. So a, a very, very simple product. Um, and that's how we started. We then evolved where we started to see some other needs coming, um, specifically on the asset finance. So asset finance, again, has been around forever. But you know, if you don't meet the very specific balance sheet requirements um, that the, the asset finance providers uh, make you go through, you're just, you're just not going to get access to that product. Uh, we launched that just before COVID. At that stage, we were concentrating primarily on, on equipment. So, you know, it's a coffee shop and they wanted to buy another coffee machine to expand their business. Then COVID hit and then that opened up a completely different market for us because all of a sudden these business owners needed to buy laptops for, for their staff because, you know, they were moving from the office. Um, so we've had uh, an interesting journey then with our asset finance and then obviously the ESCOM crisis put us very much at the front of, uh, of uh, you know, step, um, helping business owners with their backup power requirements. So, you know, we, we, we've had a lot of experience now with all different types of uh, asset finance requirements um, just to help business owners, anything from a trolley-based inverter to more complex uh, solar-based uh, products. What we then recognized was, was another structural, fr from our perspective, a, 
a product that we could offer into the market was now international trade finance. So what we, what we had was uh, those existing customers of ours that were using other our trade finance product, which was only at that stage reserved for local wholesalers. So we were only making local payments on their behalf for either their trade or asset needs. Uh, that same business was coming to us and saying, but I can't, you know, I, I've, I've sourced this product um, internationally, and it's actually much cheaper for me to do it this way. You know, I'm the same credit risk. You know, can't you can't you help us out? And initially, we just kept saying no because obviously it's incredibly complicated to do international transactions. But with time, we figured out how we could uh, help them, and we've basically been solved now for an international trade. So now, businesses can come online to our website and within a matter of minutes get a provisional answer real-time 24-7 because it's digital lending, make use of you know either of those three products. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, the one thing South Africa will just keep dishing up for you is uh, people need their own infrastructure and you can keep financing it. You know, hold on to your hats for our own uh, water solutions and Jojo tanks and goodness knows what else. Said tongue-in-cheek, but also hoping that doesn't come to fruition. <laughs> no, but, uh, it, but, but, but it, listen, no jokes. I'm saying there's been some some real conversations around and we've actually seen some businesses come, which is, uh, you know, re rent a borehole. Um, it, it's coming. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, South Africa is just never a boring place to, to do business, is it? it? It really, really isn't. I guess the last thing I just want to touch on is, uh, you know, obviously you guys need to make money like any lender. So how do you think about pricing this debt? I mean, for entrepreneurs, like high level, you know, what sort of cost? Is it like a per month thing? You know, just help the entrepreneur understand what this money costs. Or business owner, as you said, it's not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, we, we, we've got different products and essentially we've got what we'd call an open market product. So someone comes to our website and they apply um, and they want to make a payment now to a supplier that's not necessarily on our database or we don't have a relationship with. So they've sourced their material, they just want us to facilitate the transaction and give them the extended repayment terms you know, to repay over three months. Typically that cost can be anywhere and it, it's also... Uh, based on what the underlying risk is of that business, of one and a half to two and a half percent of the invoice amount per month. So uh, let's put it into real monetary terms. It's a hundred thousand rand. They are going to sell those goods or do something with it that they're going to sell for roughly call it one hundred and thirty thousand rand. They would be paying us anywhere between five to seven and a half. Um, on that, so they'd be making anywhere between twenty-five to twenty-two and a half, which again, you know. 20, that's 22 and a half or 25 that they weren't going to make if they weren't able for us to facilitate that transaction. That's kind of our most expensive type of pricing. And obviously it depends how long they take it over and things like that. What we've also managed to do is to develop very key strategic relationships with certain suppliers where we've actually managed to share in that cost of credit between the supplier and ourselves. And in that world, sometimes they can get 30 days interest free because the supplier is actually willing to pay for it on their behalf, or it can be as little as 1% to 2% for the total transaction. So they could be getting 90 days worth of credit, but it's cost them, in that scenario that I gave earlier, the 7.5% that they were paying, they'd actually only be paying 3 uh, So it's highly dependent on what product they're using and which supplier they're potentially making use of around that. Um, but just a quick note, because again, you know, and that's what I like about, about this podcast and, and, and the content that you put out is that you are incredibly transparent and incredibly honest. You know, the banks obviously have the ability to raise funding at a much lower 
cost of debt than we can. So in certain situations, we can we can be cheaper than the bank, but obviously they've got much larger balance sheets. Now our fundamental difference is that we are we are an alternative lender. So yes, there is a slight premium to what you're getting relative to the bank. But if you're co comparing us to the other alternative lenders, we are significantly cheaper. So we really we are you know we are really aiming to marry the two worlds together. We're getting the convenience from us at a cost that makes sense for your business. That it's almost like a no-brainer for for you to make use of payable. Yeah. So I'll give you my view on this stuff. I mean, I think personal loans can be very damaging because people often use the money for something where they couldn't get the fixed asset finance. They probably shouldn't be buying it. And now they're going, oh, but I really want that car. So let me rather just go and pay that 20% annual interest rate to go and buy this car because I'm irritated and I couldn't finance it at 11. That is super damaging. It's completely different for a business because as you say, you almost you almost build this into the gross profit on whatever it is that you are doing that you need this money for. So you know, if you can get a 20% return on your capital and you can swing that capital five times a year, as a business owner, you're doubling that every year. Do you really care if your effective annual cost of finance was 25%? No, you don't because you're making a hell of a lot of money. Your return on invested capital is so good, you can go and fund it and your return on equity is absolutely through the roof because you're using the money to make money. Individual personal loans is using the money nine times out of 10 to either kick another debt down the road. It's just, it's a death spiral. Let's just be completely honest. That's what it is in retail lending. In small business lending, this is the exact opposite of a death spiral. In fact, I would say this is the lifeblood for a lot of small businesses because without... It's the only way they can grow. Yeah. It's literally exactly. the only yeah. form of access to credit that they have. What could be more frustrating as a business owner than knowing you can make 20%, you have to pay away two or even five, frankly, even 10, which is not the case here. But even if it was, you're still making a profit. It's right there in front of your face but no one will lend you the money. Yeah. No, so you're literally sitting there, you can see everything in front of you, and you're going, if only I could just do X, Y, and Z and get that money, you're in a net better position. And, and again, I think this notion of just always using like an annualized interest rate to think about something that you're paying off over six weeks also isn't necessarily correct. You're turning it over, look at it in the absolute rand terms, you know, I'm paying 100, that's what, you know, if, if I had access to the cash, I'd be paying 100. But in reality, you're never paying 100 because you've always got your, your you know, your whack in the background. So, you know, you, you're making use of your overdraft. You can't think about that because you're pulling it from other places. Okay, it's incredibly transparent. It's 100. Okay, to get that 100, it's costing me five. Um, I'm going to make 20. So net, I'm, I've got 15 more than I had before I did, entered into this transaction. That's a much healthier way of thinking about that um, than just looking at, oh, what are the interest rates and all of that and annualizing something that actually has no tangible outcome on the business. Yeah, the only person analyzing this is you because that's how your business needs to make a living at the end of the day versus your funding costs. So I think it's a it's a very, very... That's for us to worry about, not for our customers to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Look, I think it's a cool space and I think the reality is that more and more businesses need access to this stuff. It is intensely difficult and the biggest heartbreak is it just hits you out of nowhere. You know, you have a product and often it's, it's people selling some kind of stock or some kind of product you know, they have something that works, they get that dream order and they can't fulfill it because they can't get access to it. They've done everything right, absolutely everything right until that moment and then they just can't get the money to actually go and fulfill the order. It's a complete heartbreak. So well done on, I think, seeing that and actually doing something about it. And uh, I think to finish off the show, you know, how do people go and find payable um, how do they find you? You know, do they just go onto the website? I think it's worth sharing the details so people can go and have a look. So our website is payable.biz, um, but it's spelled P-A-Y-A-B-I-L-L. -L. 
payables.biz, B-I-Z, like a small biz. And again, that was a play on the words for payables because we're taking over their payables that they're paying and we're paying their bills. So it, very cute, but to your point earlier, it is uh, sometimes hard for people to find. But if they Google just the word payable, P-A-Y-A-B-I-L-L, they'll definitely find it. Our telephone number is 0871352228. And yeah, all, all the details are on the website. You know, between... Between that, uh, between our telephone number um, and the website, there's WhatsApp lines, there's chatbots, there's email addresses, all of that's available online. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. And, you know, just to be completely transparent with our listeners, in case you're wondering if Bizwell gets any sort of kickback from this or whatever, we do not. We are simply just highlighting entrepreneurs and service providers and people in the ecosystem who we think are doing the right stuff. And uh, I think, Ellie, you're definitely doing the right stuff. So thank you for that and all the best. And to our listeners, you know, if this sounds like something interesting, go and have a chat. I think the other thing I would, I would leave uh, the listeners with is don't wait until the last minute when you desperately need the money to start understanding where that money might come from. Unfortunately, that's a trap that a lot of people fall into. Be a little bit more front foot than that. If you can see, you know, do some forecasting, have a look at your business. If you can see that you might have a gap, start to form a relationship, you know, reach out, find out what your options are, learn what those options are and just plan for it. A little bit of financial forecasting will get you a hell of a long way. Absolutely. And on that, uh, let me give one more last punt about Payable is that while they're doing that thinking, go onto our website, click on Apply Now. It costs absolutely nothing. You'll get a provisional answer in real time. And you know, you, you can at least go, oh, you know, I have something to, to start looking at. It's not like you're going into this long process to, to uh, understand whether they may or may not qualify. It's literally there 24 seven. They could do it at two o'clock in the morning when they can't sleep and you know, see what they can get. There we go. When if you're not sleeping, you can value your business and see if exactly. you can get funding all from the comfort of your bed. Exactly. I mean, that's the buzzwell and payable power. Anyway, awesome. Ellie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Really Christ. appreciate it. Thanks. Eh?